Our reading from God's Word, the Holy Bible, is from Philippians chapter 4. While you're turning to it, may I say that the Church of England had a very beloved uh, bishop called Bishop Taylor Smith. Incidentally, you dear Church of England friends are coming into your own this afternoon because both our hymns so far have been written by Church of England stalwarts. Well, may I share this about Bishop Taylor Smith. When he died, on his coffin, there was a glass casket and inside an open Bible and uh, alongside the little placard which said, he loved it, he learnt it, he lived it. And uh, may we take a little encouragement now as we turn to the word of God, which we also should love and learn and live. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound, everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Well, we've been encouraged this weekend to live for our Lord Jesus Christ. Steve has just challenged us concerning next year. And yet, 
Tomorrow is Monday. And we are told to and been challenged to live for our Lord Jesus Christ, not just next year, but tomorrow as well. And I wonder how we feel. We've been encouraged to know Christ, to live for Christ, to serve Christ, to love Christ. And perhaps some of you are saying, well, how can I do it? I've got great intentions now. And I'm really going to make an effort. But how shall I do it? How will I fare tomorrow morning at work, at school, at college, at university? While well, our text this afternoon, I trust, will be a great help to wherever you are in the Christian life. And my text is found in chapter 4 and verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says these tremendous words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'd like to, in these last few moments, speak to you from that verse. By way of introduction, may I just observe one or two things. One, Christian, you are a spiritual miracle. I am glad you never met me before I was a Christian. And perhaps you'd say the same thing about yourself. You are a spiritual miracle. You are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not the person you once were in your unconverted state. A spiritual miracle. Some of us look back in our Christian experience and say, we've had a bit of spiritual muscle. We have been amazed that we've actually done certain things which we we just didn't think were possible to, to do it. And we testify that the Lord has given us that strength to serve him. We've had a bit of spiritual muscle. But we've also learnt there are one or two spiritual musts. We need to love our Bibles. We need to pray. We need to meet with other Christians. We need to remember the Lord around his table. There are certain spiritual musts in order to know that fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us have learnt that so far about our Christian experience. Can I just say one other little thing about this verse before I go into the main material? It's this. This is a verse, sadly, it has been abused by some Christians or some who have professed to be Christians. And they have used this verse to justify ungodly, unscriptural behaviour. If you were just to use those words, I can do all things... That is not liberty to sin. Christ has given us commands. Christ has given us principles. Christ has given us rules to live the Christian life. And dear friend, what a gracious saviour he is. Not only does he tell us what to do, he comes and he gives us strength 
to do it. And perhaps I'm speaking to someone already. And you say, well, I've learned a lot this weekend, but all for strength to do it. Well, listen on, folk. We've got a glorious verse before us. It used to be, well, the famous so-called national hymn or song, Britannia rules the waves. Tragically, our land today seems to wave the rules. Never ever make an excuse for not doing certain things which the Bible commands, saying, oh, I can't do that. When we've got before us a verse like this, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, let me observe three things from this glorious verse. And the first thing is this. There is a strength that is greater than my own. There is a strength that is greater than my own. Gerard and Philippa sent me to Brixton Prison once. It was great. They let me out afterwards. I preached to the inmates. It was great. I remember what one man said. He says, I need a strength that is greater than my own. And dear Christian friend, that's what we need, isn't it? But our verse tells us there is a strength that is greater than our own. Now, once again, if you played about with this verse, you could say, I can do all things. That is a recipe for failure. Some of us, as we look back in our Christian lives, when we've seen failure, when we've seen weakness, when we've seen sin, and we've felt like packing up in the Christian life, that has been the problem. I can do all things, and we've fallen flat on our face. In fact, there was a king in the Old Testament. He looked over his grey empire, his palace, his city. I've done this! And God brought him to the ground and Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God because of a proud, arrogant spirit. If you want a recipe for failure, friends, just say, I can do all things. That's not what the verse is saying. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. In fact, the Apostle Paul, if we'd homed in a bit more in chapter 3, we would have learnt before he was converted, he was an arrogant, proud Pharisee. But now he is a humble, obedient disciple. And he has learnt this lesson. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Even this great Apostle Paul was dependent upon Christ for strength to live the Christian life and to serve the God he loved. His testimony was, I know a strength that is greater than my own. Is that your testimony? Now it's very interesting that this verse is connected with verses 11 and 12 where it talks about Contentment. Contentment. We live in a very discontent age, don't we, in society. Tragically, it's overspilled into the church. People are not satisfied. They want something more. But here was a man who was content. He said, it doesn't matter where I am, what my conditions are, 
I have learnt that whatever state I am found, I am content. Now, Paul is not speaking about when he's preaching in the open air or running his beach mission. He's speaking from a prison. He's speaking from a life of experience. But even in his loneliest hours, in his most difficult time, he's learnt an inner peace, a contentment that comes from the Lord. I had to smile at a little illustration I read about the man who was a, a pilot and as he was flying over the mountains he saw a lake. <laughs> and he said to his fellow pilot, he said, hey, you see that lake there? I used to fish in that lake when I was a boy and do you know what I used to wish? I used to wish I was a pilot and you'll never guess what I wish now. I wish I was fishing in the lake. <laughs> and isn't it strange? Doesn't that happen to us? A discontent spirit. But here was a man who was content. Whatever his state was, he was content. And he's saying it from a prison cell. Now, I don't want to worry you ladies. I don't know what, how big the cobwebs were and how big the spiders were. And I don't know how big the rats were running about. And I don't know what the bed was like for comfort. And I certainly don't know what the food was like. And I don't know how he was treated by the Roman guard, but we know this. Whatever his state was, he was content. Now, why was Paul content? I'll tell you why he was content. And I'll tell you, in fact, a Puritan wrote a book, and it was called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I think this is all hitting at all of us. A contented spirit is a wonderful thing to have. Now, it's great to be out the front of a beach mission. It's great to be on a platform. But, folk, that's not it, is it? It's knowing 24 hours a day that there's an inner life within that is content. That is content. And I'll tell you why Paul was content. He was in the will of God. He was in the will of God. In chapter 1, do you remember what he said? He said, look, here I am, I'm in prison. But I know why I'm here. I'm here not only to defend the gospel, but I'm here for the furtherance of the gospel. Everyone's talking about the gospel because I'm here. And even the Christians, which were a bit shy and a bit backward in coming forward in their witness, even those have got bold and speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone's talking about Christ. I'm exactly where the Lord wants me. And that's why he was content. Not only was he there and the gospel was being talked about, here he was, he'd got a message. Hey, there's problems at the church at Philippi. They denied it. Bad attitudes. And he writes his epistle to the Philippians, which was not just for the Philippians, but for the blessing and the benefit for the last uh, uh, 2,000 years of church history. He was in the will of God. And dear friends, that is the secret of contentment. Whether the, the skies are clear or whether there are clouds in the sky, whether it's in a storm at sea or whether it's at peace, whether it's with the saints or with the enemies of God, all Paul was concerned about was being in the will of God and it brought a contented spirit. He knew the peace of God within. And isn't that what we need to learn? Isn't that what we need to prove? And isn't that 
the real crunch of the Christian life, oh yes, techniques, committees, well they all have their place, but it's the inner life, isn't it? It's knowing a mindset which is in tune with God. It's knowing a heart which is at peace with God. Knowing that the God of peace is with them in every situation of life. I can do all things through Christ. There is a strength that is greater than your own. The Christian life is a life of new beginnings. Will you today say to God, Lord, from now on, instead of relying on my own strength, make me more dependent upon your own strength. Paul was going to die a martyr's death. When we were at Oxford, near where we preached, there is the martyr's memorial. Three men prepared to go and be burnt instead of surrendering to the heresy of the day. When we were in Edinburgh, we saw the Covenanters' monument and some of those men testified wonderfully and preached their finest sermons in their dying hours. You say, how could they do it? This is how they could do it, folk. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. There is a strength that is greater than our own. Now, that's my first observation from this text. The second observation from this text is this. There is a strength which can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, as I said, we need to identify what Paul is saying. What are these all things? And I want to say in one little brief sentence, all that Christ asks me to do. Now that is most important, that we grasp that. All that Christ asks me to do. And this is the wonderful thing, our kind, loving Saviour, he knows what we're like. We're a motley crew. We're full of weakness and failure. But he says, I'll come and I will strengthen you in such a way to live the Christian life. Now, there's five little areas. So, I hope you've got your Bible open at this chapter. Now, of course, there's many more areas, but I just want to highlight five of them from this chapter. Five areas where we need the strength of Christ. One. They all begin with the letter A, by the way, just to help you. To continue in the Apostles' doctrine and practice. You say, David, where have you got that from? Well, you look at verse 9. You look at verse 9. Here is Paul using himself as an example to this church. That church came into being because of his ministry. And look at him. Now, this isn't an arrogant man speaking. This is an Apostle speaking. He says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He uses himself as an example in teaching and practice. Now, of course, we believe, do we not, in the importance 
of that group of men we call the apostles. They brought us the New Testament. And it's very interesting, as you read most of the epistles, when false teachers came in, they always attacked the doctrine and teaching of the apostles. And folk, it's the same today. It's the same today. And where do we need to be strong today? To stand for truth, to resist error, and to be an apostolic in our doctrine and practice. Now, I was going to say about penal substitution, but Michael did it so well this morning. When these people come along and say things, oh, it doesn't matter about this penal substitution and a host of other things, what do you need to do, Christian? You need to come to the epistles particularly. And what did the apostles teach? And learn from the doctrine of the apostles the great things we should stand firm on. Now, did you notice how the chapter started? It said, stand fast in the Lord. Why? A bit earlier on, in, earlier on, in the last part of chapter 3, it was speaking about enemies of the cross. And wherever you are, whether you find them in Islam or in the modernists, one thing is certain, all around us there are enemies of the cross. And we need to stand firm when it comes to what the apostles have taught us. And when it comes to practice, as I I have a little smile about, we wave the rules. Why do we need strength, dear Christian? Because Christ's standards are high. The New Testament rebukes shallowness of Christian living. And we need strength, whether it be in the workplace, in the home, or in the church, to live according to those high standards. We are called to holiness of life. Purity of life, a separation from the world, an obedience to the revealed word of God. We need strength to follow the apostles' doctrine and practice. Secondly, we need strength when it comes to the attitudes we have towards other Christians. Now, this is an area which is a minefield. Why are there so many difficulties and problems in our church today? Yes, there are doctrinal problems. But so often, it is personality problems. Now, Paul, in verse 2 of our chapter, speaks of Eurodius and Syntyche. And he doesn't say, oh, well, that one's right and that one's wrong. No, he doesn't say that. He says this, They are both wrong. And they need to come before the Lord and to come into the same mind as our Lord Jesus Christ. They both need correcting. They both need changing. And they need the very strength of Christ to do that. Did you uh, notice so wonderfully as Michael brought it out this morning about this great high standard of a change of our attitude towards others in chapter 2. You know, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, or lo- but in lowliness of mind. Each esteeming others better than himself. Let 
Each of you look out not on the things of his own interests, but on the interests of others. What a challenge. I don't know about you. You may be a super saint. But I need strength to do that in our attitude towards others. And if there is someone, and you know you are at loggerheads with someone, you know that your attitudes are not right towards another Christian, whether it be here or in your church at home. Perhaps you need to go and get alone with the Lord and read the book of Philippians and see what it says about true Christian unity and pray that the Lord would give you strength to put those very attitudes into practice. Attitudes towards others. Thirdly, we need strength in this area, folk. And the word is anxieties. Anxieties. Some of you perhaps have done on the beach, Mr. Men. And Mr. Men, there is one called Mr. Worry. And what does Mr. Worry do? You've got it. He worries. And he worries. And he worries. And after that, he worries. And so do some of you. Perhaps there's situations in your life which you haven't got an answer to. And you begin to think, what am I going to do? Perhaps some of you younger ones, you say, well, what are we on about? Anxieties, we're going to sail through life. It's going to be a nice blue sky, a nice calm sea. We're not going to have a problem. I've got one last word to say to you. Get real, folk, get real. Directly I said the word anxieties. Many of the older folk here knew exactly what I was going to say. Because they've been there. They've been there. Now look at this verse. Chapter 4, verse verse. Verse 6. What a word this is for so many of us. We worry but we do not pray. But Paul says, no, you pray. And you'll see, you'll get certain things in, uh, in suspect, sorted out in your life. He says this. Be anxious for nothing but in something, no, not some things, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Folk, how's the prayer life? What is the most difficult discipline in the Christian life? It's prayer. But the verse says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He in his goodness has given you, your, uh, given him, uh, given you the Holy Spirit within to even assist you in your prayer life. And notice this great promise in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasseth all understandings will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Folks, what does our Christian life need? Better conversation skills? Well, perhaps they do. Do we need to have better quizzes on the book? Well, perhaps we could have some better quizzes, folks. What do we really need, folk? We need this this very inner secret life of prayer to be developed in order that we can say, even in this Christ, he gives me strength to pray. That lovely little chorus we learnt many years ago in my young Christian life. All our anxieties, all our cares, bring to the mercy seat Leave them never there, never a burden. He cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. Do we believe that? Fourthly, the question of 
assurance. Do you know, if you've proved the strength of Christ in your life, do you know that's a great assurance that you are a Christian? That's a wonderful assurance. Notice what it says in verses 3 and 4. It speaks about his fellow workers. And he says, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Whose names are in the book of life? Those who are workers. And a sure sign that you are a Christian is that you will want to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an assurance that you belong to the Lord. Now I know we fail. I know that so often our, our services with such shortcomings and yet it's a great assurance that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we want to work for him. These fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And friends, your name is in the book of life if you're a Christian. Isn't that wonderful? I spoke, or tried to speak last week at our church about setting our affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Folk, you have a place reserved for you in heaven. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that? Vernon Hyam, he said, he's getting on a bit in age now, he says, I'm in the departure lounge. (laughs) My destiny is heaven. Perhaps some of us, we do not know, but some of us, we may be in the departure lounge. Next year we won't be at the reunion because we'll be in glory. What a wonderful thing that is to know that you're going because your name is in the book of life and Paul says, hey, get rejoicing about this. Rejoice about this wonderful assurance. And then fifthly and finally, what are these things? The activity of the mind. The activity of the mind. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Edwin said to me when we were at Edinburgh, he'd just been reading that verse about you know, they, 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 they gave praise to God with their lips, but their hearts were far away. In other words, they said the right things, but their mind was somewhere else. And where is your mind? Paul tells us where our mind should be. When we were at Edinburgh, the, the preacher on the Sunday end gave a brilliant illustration. He pinched it, so I think I can pinch it. I'll have to tell some of the younger ones a little bit of history here. Last century, when you were very, very young, we had a lady Prime Minister. Her name was affectionately called Maggie Thatcher. Now, during her premiership, the Falkland Islands were invaded by the Argentinians. And uh, Mrs. Thatcher, on the ball, sent off her task force and one of her first orders was this. Bomb the runway at Port Stanley. Stop the enemy supply line. And that's exactly what they did. They bombed the runway and they stopped the enemy supply line. 
Why, dear Christian friend, are you not knowing the strength of Christ in your life? Why is it we're not growing as we should? Why is it our mind is somewhere else? Because our mind is on the things of this life, this world. And perhaps, who knows, there's someone tampering about and planning sin in your mind. You're reading articles which are not good. You are watching programs which stain the mind. And you will never ever grow in the Christian life. What do you need to do? You need to bomb the runway. To stop the enemy line. In order that you might have a change of direction in your thinking. And do exactly what Paul says. To set their minds on those things which are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report praiseworthy. And folk, we need a strength which is beyond our own for our mind and for our thinking and for our thoughts and for our meditation. How well the hymn writer put it like this. Lord and Saviour, true and kind, be the master of my mind. Bless and guide and strengthen still all my powers of thought and will, the activity of the mind. I can do all things, all that Christ requests of me. There is no excuse because he has provided and he says he'll come and give the strength. Now finally, with this I must close. Not only is there a strength that is greater than my own, not only is it a strength that can do all things which Christ asks me to do, It is a strength, finally, that comes from Christ alone. Why do I mess up? Why do I sin? It's because there's too much of self within. But this verse tells me I need Christ. And I need Christ within my heart, living and ruling and reigning in my very being. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is the strength of my life. This isn't just a Paulism. This is what Christians have proved throughout all time. The Lord is the strength of my life. First, Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. And this has been the testimony of God's people for the last 2,000 years. In that lovely book, and if you haven't read it, you really need to get it, fellas. The Disciplines of the Godly Man by Kent Hughes. It's well worth reading. And there's one for the girls as well. It's a good book. And he gives all the disciplines of the Christian life and you feel such a failure at the end of that book. But he comes in and he lets the last chapter is upon this theme about that grace and that strength that comes from Christ alone. And he describes a picture that arrived in a gallery. It was at the Niagara Falls. And all these millions of gallons of water pouring over the falls, but there was no title for the picture. So they put a title, and it was this. There's more to come. There's more to come. And we want to say, wherever you're at at the Christian life, there's more grace, there's more strength, to come.
the little boy who fell over in the sea and cried out, Mom, I've swallowed the sea! Well, there's a great ocean out there, folk. And there's a great ocean of God's loving kindness and grace and strength, which are yet you have yet to prove. We're in the shallow end, folk. We're in the shallow end. And we haven't proved it as we ought. Well, this dear, lovely hymn. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. Folk, we're in the shallow end. Many who have walked before us have proved the testimony of this verse and the truth of this verse many times over. And what is the call of the book of Philippians? It is the call to live for Christ. It is the call to prove Christ. It is the call to be obedient to Christ. It is the call to say, Lord, I am nothing. But with Paul, I want to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.